0: Let's roll into the Core 52 material. If you're newer to Polaris, we've been walking through this Core 52 book, and they're out in the lobby under the, under the TV out there. Essentially, 52 major themes in the Bible. And the Core 52 devotional spends about four pages each week to walk through one of those themes. So um, this theme, we're, we're talking about promise or covenant uh, or deals, and I'll explain more, but let me start. I think the best way that I can uh, introduce that topic is to talk through um, an experience in my uh, illustrious three-year youth ministry career um, like 15 to 20 years ago, okay? So I took a group of uh, at-risk kids to uh, uh, West Virginia, and we, um, we did this ropes course. And I had never done a ropes course before. I don't know whether any of you have done a ropes course. I, I did uh, uh, um, one time, and I don't aspire to do it again, but I learned a lot. I learned about how the body and the mind interact, and how somehow your body will trump your mind at times. Because on a ropes course, you know, I got this this helmet on, and I got, uh, you know, like harnesses everywhere, and you're about 30 feet off the ground. Now, literally, and you know this, you're probably safer on that ropes course than you are walking down the street any given day with all the harnesses and ropes and cables and protective gear and all that, okay? But there are simple things that your body just won't do. Like, it starts out, there, there's, this, there, there's a trapeze thing, okay? And I have, you know, harness ropes, safety ropes, safety ropes for safety ropes, and, and you got to jump to this trapeze, And then you get off to the side, you know, that's that's the thing. Uh, But but you stand there, and, and I could have fallen down and hit my face on the bar. Like, it's not too far of a jump. You could practically just reach out and fall and get it. But I'm standing there on the edge, looking five feet out at this bar, and my body just won't do it. And I'm like, no, just, just jump. Everybody's watching. You know, you're the, you're the youth leader. Everybody's watching. The kids are clowning me. Ah, come on, make the jump, pansy. And, and, and you're just, you're like, okay, legs, go. And, and just, your body's just like, nope. And so I, I did what everybody does in that situation. Uh, what every man does, I, 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 um, I went and did something else. So I went over, and there's this, there's this plank that's about, you know, five feet wide. It's like sidewalk-length walkway. It's just a, a bridge. And, you know, I don't walk down the sidewalk afraid that I'm going to fall off into the street or into the grass. Like, you just walk down the sidewalk. And so long as you're sober, you're not just going to randomly fall off. But I could barely, like, I'm walking like this. no, it's, it's true. I'm not like a daredevil. You know, I'm not like a need-for-speed, high-adrenaline guy. Um, there's too much that I can be worrying about to enjoy my life with freedom. Um, but I'm walking like this. And then finally, after about 15, 20 minutes my body and my mind start to connect on the safety of it all, and I'm actually starting to now enjoy it. You know, I made the jump successfully, and I did some things that that were a little more risky, realizing. But it did took me a good 15, 20 minutes to trust the ropes and the harnesses. I'll never do it again, but I learned a lot. Um, When it comes to interacting with God, There's a lot that that can be applied from that experience, and what we're going to see is that God uh, uh, shows himself as a God of promises, a God who makes promises or covenants or deals, if you're comfortable with that language, a God who makes deals with us. But it seems that what we see is, is a God who wants us to interact with him in the context of of those promises and learn to live our life and enjoy our life uh, by trusting those promises, like we might trust those harnesses, so that we can uh, live and move about freely. Um, those promises become a kind of anchor in storms, or maybe we call a tow rope that kind of pulls you forward when you're stuck, um, or or a safety harness or safety net uh, when we're when we're when we're struggling with fear and things like that. So what I want to do is I want to walk you through uh, some scriptures that demonstrate God as a God uh, of promises, and then talk about the nature of covenant, because if you want to uh, appreciate the scriptures, you probably need to know a little bit about the idea of, of covenant. And then we're going to talk through just some really practical, like, takeaways, <coughs> trusting the promises of God in in everyday life kind of stuff. Okay, so let me start with some some places in scripture that that... That present the idea of of God as a God of covenants, promises, or deals, and this is why this is significant. Um, and, and if you've been around Polaris, you've heard me talk about like you know, reading scripture, like watching the Godfather movie or movies like the Godfather versus sound bites, and, uh, and and so essentially, um, if you, if you think about the the Godfather movie, um, a lot of people watch it for clips. Um, but, but if you learn to, to watch it the way it was intended, you, you take in a movie like The Godfather and you observe things and you see where it heads and where it flows and, and then you you draw you, you learn what the, authors, what, the, what the director and the author is trying to tell you, the screenwriter is trying to tell you through the observation of things because it doesn't come in like bullet points. It's not a deductive movie. You observe things. And then apply it. In the same way with scripture, especially Genesis and Exodus and some of the older books in the Bible, some of the more ancient, ancient scriptures, it's written the same way. It's not written in bullet points. It doesn't say, hey, believe this and this and this and this. They're stories. And you look at the accounts. And you learn from the accounts and you say, wow, what do I learn about God from that? What does this say about God? What does this say about humans? What does this say about the way God interacts with humans? And that's where the scriptures come alive when you start to read it and try to observe tendencies and characteristics and draw your own conclusions and, and the implications, that's, that's when it comes alive. A lot of people for life just read the Bible for bullet points and little inspirational verses that they can put on their mirrors. Nothing wrong with that. But a lot of the power of the Scripture comes when we look at the stories in Scripture and begin to ask, what did, what can I What can I learn from this about God, about people? So when we look at this today, what I want you to see for the first half of this talk is I want you to think like if you had amnesia and we're just reading some of the first pages of the Bible, taking it in, what do you learn about the Creator and how He wants to interact with humans, okay? So what does this say about the Creator and how He interacts with humans? And if we start on like page 2 of the Bible, Genesis 2 and 3, we talked about this um, last week we're going to see a unique feature of this creator God. <clears throat> he starts to make promises with his people, and I think this is really significant and odd, because the truth is the creator God, why, why is he making promises to people? What, what is it to him? Typically, when we make promises, it's for this idea of trust. It's a, it's a, it's a mutual thing. It's a deal. It's two-sided. What in the world do humans have to offer to God that he would be engaged with them? Because that's one of the things you'd wonder if you didn't know anything about God. is, is Is he even engaged with creation? Well, we start out in Genesis 2. So we're in the second chapter of the Bible. And God says this, and we talked about this last week. But the Lord God warned him, Adam, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. So free, it's free. Freely eat it. You don't have this is this is club seats. This is all inclusive. Get your wristband. You can free, freely eat from every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. So a couple promises there. Hey, free food everywhere in eternal life. Just not there. If you eat that. You're going to die. And then what we see in Genesis 3, we saw it last week, is food isn't free anymore. God goes out of his way in Genesis 3. One of the things we observe is that God says, Food is no longer free. You will work by the sweat of your brow through painful toil. In the midst of thistles and thorns, you will work for food. So there's that contrast there of what was the promise. Hey, free food. What's the punishment? Now you're going to have to work for food. Hey, eternal life. What's the punishment? Now you're going to return to the ground and die. So you see this idea that stands out if you're really taking in and, hey, what can I learn about this God and how he interacts with humans? Well, he comes to humans and he makes a promise. Like, he wants them to be, be able to rely on some things, to rely on him for food and life. But then also, there's the human part of the deal as well. But you see the way from chapter 2, if you're, if you're really reading into taking in, one of the things you learn is that God comes to human beings with promises, unique part of who God is and how he wants to interact with us. Now, you move forward a little bit, and you see in Genesis chapter 9, so you flip just a few pages over, you're in Genesis chapter 9, God has just destroyed the world with the flood, and he's going to take his mulligan with Noah and redo creation. Okay, so now we have a new start. And look at what it says in Genesis chapter 9. Exhibit B. Then God told Noah and his sons, Yes, I am confirming my covenant, my promise with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Now, again, this is unique, because God doesn't have to promise people anything. He chooses to. That's odd. Why would God lay anything on the line? Why would God make any promises? And what do we tell our kids? I'm not making any promises here. Why? Because I don't have to. Okay? Okay? God doesn't have to make any promises, but he does. And this is a significant, important promise because what we learn in the ancient world is that one of the greatest stresses was a natural disaster like a flood. A flood would roll in and wipe out crops and wipe out huts and pretty much set people back to nothing. And one of the things that we know from archaeology and history that, and that, that um, the ancient uh, tribes wrestled with was uh, they, they would get hit with the flood and they would believe <clears throat> the gods were mad at them. And then they got to stress about what do we got to do to placate the gods? How many more kids do we have to sacrifice and everything else? What, what are we doing wrong? Whose fault is this? Witch hunt time. Why did this flood come to us? Well, now these ancient Israelites have their scripture that God promises because they don't know what a worldwide flood is. They just, you know, they, they don't have that kind of, they're not getting real time reports from across the globe. For them, it's now. God's not going to destroy the earth in anger with natural disaster, with specifically a flood. So when a flood comes now, they can say, okay, this isn't God mad at us. Imagine what that did to help them move forward and to help them cope with their relationship with God, to have that off their mind of, okay, this isn't our fault. So God comes to them with a deal that's very significant, that was completely unnecessary on his part, but it's his merciful gift to say, hey, I don't want this on your mind anymore, okay? Nonetheless, we see, or regardless we see of how to interpret that, God still comes to them with a covenant, and that's unique to how he relates with people. A few pages later in Genesis 15, so the Lord God made a covenant or promise with Abram or Abraham that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. So what God is starting a new tribe here through Abraham and it's with a promise or a covenant. Again, God wouldn't have had to do that. He doesn't owe anybody anything. There's not much humans can bring to the table, but still God comes to Abraham with a promise or a covenant. Now, if you're taken in the Bible, you're about 20 minutes in now, if you get through Genesis 15, maybe maybe 25 minutes in, and already multiple times it says, God made a promise, God made a promise, God made a promise. So now you're starting to say, that, okay, there's a theme here that the scriptures want me to understand, and that's a part of being human, is understanding, looking for, and, um, and uh, living life alongside of the promises from God. This is a God who makes promises with his people. A few pages later you get into Exodus and God is talking to Moses. Now multiple times in the book of Genesis he repeats his promise, hey this is going to be your land Your descendants are going to be my special people. This is going to be your land. Your descendants are going to be my special people. That's the promise that God repeats. We get to Exodus, and we see it becomes more of a deal. Because here's what God says through Moses. Now, if you fully obey me, or you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. If then, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So we got now we got the deal. Now it's not a one-sided promise. Hey, I'm going to do this. Now it's if you faithfully obey my commands, if you're true to me, then I'll keep my side of the deal and you'll be my special people. If then. But again, we're reading the narrative of the Bible and we're seeing that We're seeing the covenant nature of God. The if, then. So, let me stop there and talk about covenant. Because covenant is significant. um, To make sure that everybody's on the same page with what covenant is. So I'm going to borrow from Core 52, the book. Uh, He spends some time walking through the nature of covenant. And um, there's a couple things that, that he points out that I think are are important. First, a covenant is legally binding between two parties and their substance. There's like teeth. Like a covenant isn't, hey, can I borrow $20, Mark? I'll hit you on the first. That's just kind of a casual promise. A covenant has a little more teeth to it. A covenant is significant. Like when we think about covenant, let's think about like a, a, a wedding. If you have, even if you've never been married, you've probably been to a wedding or two and you, you see covenant Displayed where you walk down the aisle, it's solemn, it's formal. And you stand in front of somebody and the pastor says something like, do you take this woman uh, to be your wife, uh, to have and to hold from this day forward? That's the vows, to have and to hold from this day forward. Having to hold implies there's intentional intimacy that you're going to fight for from this day forward. To have and to hold from this day forward, it's intentional. For better or worse, richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. Like, no matter what, you're going to fight for this intentionally. To love and to cherish until you're parted by by death. Be faithful to you until you're parted by death. Like, like those those are big promises, and it is sealed with a ritual. So when we talk about covenant, we're talking about a big deal thing. And it's significant here because for God to enter into a covenant, you're talking about the creator who brings himself down to our level. And the second part of the ancient covenant that that stood out to me is that there's often like a blood ritual or sacrifice involved in ancient covenants. So I'm going to read to you from, um, uh, from Genesis 15. I read the one part of God's promise. Now let's look at the ritual that God does, that God subjects himself to. It says, The Lord told Abraham, "...bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a three-year-old turtle dove, and a young pigeon." So Abraham presented all these to him, and he killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid them in halves side by side. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abraham chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. After the sun went down and darkness fell... Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. Weird, right? So the Lord made a covenant with Abraham that day and said, I've given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. Here's why I walked through that. It's weird and gruesome, right? A bloody mess laying on two sides and there's an aisle and a flaming torch walks. Oh, Here's, here's what scholars say. There's evidence in the ancient, ancient world that if you entered a huge covenant with somebody, a lasting covenant, you would carve up animals and create an aisle, and you and the party that you're making the covenant with would walk down the aisle and say, if I am not true to my end of the covenant, may I become like these animals. Gruesome, but it's memorable, and it's like graphic, like you know what you're getting into. And the incredible thing is, so when God tells Abraham to arrange all this, Abraham would have known, here's what's happening, we're making a covenant. And all the ancient listeners to this story would have known, they're setting up a covenant walk here. And for God to subject himself like, may something bad happen to me, if think about how ridiculous that is, the creator of the universe doesn't have to do that. It's like, how about, I'll tell you what I do, and that's all you get. And if you want to believe me, fine, and if not, fine. But, but no, he brings himself down and presents this covenant in a way that people of his time could understand he meets them where they're at to make this promise. Now, ultimately, what we'll talk about next week is that this blood covenant, this idea of the blood covenant, was to point people to Jesus, the ultimate blood covenant provider or sacrifice for the promise and the promises of of God and connection with God but what I want you to see there is a covenant has substance and the and the ritual surrounding a covenant has substance and God wouldn't have had to done any of that but he wants us to understand that he's with us and for us and comes down to our level and wants us to live in the context of these promises now let me close out with like so what Okay, in the ancient world there were covenants and God did a bunch of covenants and so what? Well, I want to talk about what it means to use Scripture to live in the context of these promises with God and especially like how I benefit from it. So you have something to take away from here, okay? So the first thing that I would like for you to see is that the condition of God's promises are faith. These are faith-based conditions. And the better word is faithfulness. Because James tells us that uh, faith without works is dead. Like, if you're just going to believe the right stuff and not back it up with any life, then you might as well forget it. Okay, because sometimes uh, um, you can think about how you want to connect with God and, um, and, and it, you'd be tempted to say, oh, if I just believe the right things. But no, you've you got to have life commitment to back it up. But the idea is, well, let, me, let me read to you from, from Romans 4. <clears throat> this is Romans 4. So the promise is received by faith. How is the promise received with God? It's received by faith. It's given as a free gift, and we're all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. I'll talk more about that in a minute, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. This is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because uh, Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. The idea here in the reference to Moses and all that is that in the first um, century of the church or so, there was a lot of controversy over Christians who had... There were Christians who had a Jewish background like the pipeline that led to Jesus which led to Christianity and then Christians who came from a pagan Roman background that didn't have Jewish customs and there was arguments over whether or not you could really be a good Christian without going back and doing all the Moses stuff like a good Jew. And what Paul says here is it has nothing to do with genetics and heritage. doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not. What matters is your faith. Abraham joined God in faith. The scriptures say in Genesis 12 that Abraham left everything he had to go on a journey to what he didn't know, relying completely on God. And that's what it's all about. If you're willing to make the commitment to join God on his journey for your life, then what he says is you can enter the promise of God. So the promises are for us if we put something on the line and follow Jesus. Like, it's not just believing the right thing, having no life obedience at all, living completely selfish, whatever. That's not the way it works. It's when we join God in his will for our life and are on a faith journey with him, the promises of God are for us. So, having said that, I'm going to walk you through three quick promises that I use in my life all the time as those safety ropes to help me move through life, okay? The first comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Now we're talking about everyday promises from God for you. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. It's really important to hear God say through his scriptures, listen, the temptations that you're going through are no different than anyone else's, and God will provide a way out. Sometimes we sort of like just write ourselves off as I'm too bad, I'm too terrible of a person, but Paul tells us, no, you haven't invented anything on your worst day. God's seen it all, and he will provide a way out. It doesn't say he'll make the temptation go away. He says there is a way out. You can bank on it. So don't expect that your temptations will go away, but look for places that God has provided for you to get out of it. In other words, maybe you need to set up a schedule. Maybe God's brought people into your life that can help pull you out of whatever you're going through, but the promise is not that your life circumstances are more than you, aren't more more than you can handle. Like God doesn't say he won't give you more than you can handle. He says your temptation won't be more than you can handle. So on your worst day, you look for ways out and believe that God has provided and ask God to show you, how can I get out of this temptation? And then you do the work to do it. That's the promise. And there are plenty of times where I get to feeling bad for myself and I got to remind myself, nope, you don't have it worse than anybody else, Alex. God has provided you a way out for all your frustrations and temptations and you can honor him. He said so in his word. Which leads me to the second promise that I use all the time that comes in 1 John uh, 9. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. So, what's our part of the deal in that? Confess. Confess which means we go to God with all the nasty details of our sin. We haven't invented anything. He's seen it all. We take our sins to God. What's his part of the deal? Forgiveness and cleansing. So every night we can take all our sins, real time, right after we've done we can take all our sins to God, and he provides us with forgiveness and cleansing. Remember Paul says, without blemish and free from accusation, that's how he sees us when we're in that kind of a relationship with him. I use that promise all the time. I really am not happy with my behavior today, God, but here's everything that I know that I did. I'm confessing that to you, and I'm trusting you and your promise for forgiveness and cleansing. And then one more promise that I use all the time. Philippians 4, 6. don't worry about anything wow that's easy to say don't worry about anything instead pray about everything tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done then you will experience peace which exceeds anything we can understand his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The promise isn't God will take it away. The promise isn't God will do whatever he ask. The promise is if we, if we remain thankful and present our requests to him, go to him with what we need, then he will give us peace that is beyond understanding, that will guard us and guard our minds and our hearts while we walk with Jesus. That's a powerful promise that's ours if we give our life to Jesus. So, These promises become a tow rope to pull us forward. They become an anchor to keep us centered in difficult times. They become a safety harness to keep us from falling when life is difficult. I want to highly recommend that you learn to trust the promises of God, learn to read scripture for the promises of God, and live with the freedom and the protection that they bring. We're going to do one last song, and during that song, just kind of let all that marinate, and and I hope that you found some things that can maybe bring some safety and protection and peace to your life. Father, thank you for your promises. Thank you for interacting with us, though you wouldn't have to. Um, We're grateful for those promises. I pray that you would help us all to trust those promises, to love you and interact with you. Uh, freely accepting and moving forward and relying on your promises and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.